0: Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 57 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Today, the theme is numbers and counting. After today's phrases, the familiar quotation, and the love advice from old-timey times, don't go away just yet, because... Once the outro fades out, the blooper reel shall begin. I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, but I think you'll have plenty to laugh at. And if you want to know the history of that saying, check out episode 18. Alright, without further ado, let's play the numbers and find out today's phrases, origins, history, and more. The first phrase today is uno pro omnibus, oms pro uno, which, in English, is all for one and one for all. This one means that in a group situation, an individual should act for the benefit of the group, and the group should act for the benefit of each individual. Everybody helps everybody. It's a mutually beneficial mindset. It's likely that you know this saying's most famous usage which was in The Three Musketeers. And while this wildly popular story, published by Alexander Dumas in 1844, most certainly helped this saying become more popular, it's not actually the origin of the phrase. In fact, we have to go more than 200 years further back into old-timey times to find the believed origin. To make a long story short, in 1618, the Bohemians, Catholics, and Protestants had a meeting. Things went badly, some people got thrown out of a window, and this all led to the Thirty Years' War. And you thought your work meetings were bad. Anyway, during this meeting that went so poorly, one of the Protestants said, quote, As they also absolutely intended to proceed with the execution against us, we came to a unanimous agreement among ourselves that, regardless of any loss of life and limb, honor and property, we would stand firm, and all for one, and one for all. Nor would we be subservient, but rather we would loyally help and protect each other to the utmost, against all difficulties. End quote. So, while this saying about being unified helped spark a war, its use in the popular Three Musketeers helped it keep its positive vibe. Now, let's move on and see why two heads are better than one. Okay, toppers, I bet a lot of you have heard this proverb. Two heads are better than one means that two people working towards solving a problem or figuring something out have a better chance at succeeding than just one person would. The idea behind this one is at least as old as the Bible, which we know because of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. It's thought that Ecclesiastes was written sometime between 450 and 200 B.C. Here's the King James Version of these verses. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So, we know that this idea is quite old. But as I was researching, I started wondering, is it true? Are two heads really better than one? According to various scientific studies, it depends. Basically, if the two people are of similar intellect and competence, then yes. They build each other up, and the end result is better for both. However, if one of the team members can't perform on the same intellectual level as the other, then the person with more to offer will suffer due to teaming up with the one bringing less to the table. Take a group project, for example. If everyone is on the same page, and they all have similar thought processes about how to proceed, then they're likely to all contribute and do well. If you're doing a group project with someone who isn't willing to contribute or won't learn what they need to, etc., then either you have to do extra work, or the final product won't reach its full potential. So, two heads can be better than one, but this isn't always the case. Now it's time to get the third degree. If someone gives you the third degree, then that means that they're interrogating you. It's been used to mean interrogation, especially in a criminal context, since before 1900. Because we find it that year in an edition of Everybody's Magazine, which was a magazine headquartered in New York, and was published from 1899 to 1929. Here's what the magazine said in 1900. Quote, From time to time a prisoner claims to have had the third degree administered to him. Now, while I couldn't pinpoint the exact year this saying came to be, it is thought to have been not long before that first believed use in writing. As for where it came from, we have to look into one of the most secretive of secret societies, the Freemasons. To become a master mason, the top of three membership levels, a member must go through a long and multi-part ritual showcasing their knowledge of the Freemason organization. One of the things they're subjected to is a long, arduous interrogation, and if they successfully answer all the questions and pass all the tests, then they reach the level of Master Mason, which also happens to be called, you guessed it, the third degree. That's really all there is to this one. It's a straightforward one. Which is surprising, since it comes from such a secret group of folks. So let's move on and grab 40 winks. To get 40 winks means to take a short nap. Let's start with a wink. When you wink, you close your eyes. And this is the basis of the saying. At least the physical part of it. Before moving on, I was curious as to exactly how long a wink was. So I looked that up too. It's Not long at all, actually. Only about a second. We can find a reference to this in the year 1870, when Charles Dickens included the following in The Mystery of Edwin Drood. While returning among those lanes of light, Dirtles became so very uncertain, both of foot and speech, that he half-drops, half-throws himself down by one of the heavy pillars, scarcely less heavy than itself and indistinctly appeals to his companion for 40 winks of a second each. End quote. So, a nap that's only 40 seconds long would be a rather short nap indeed. It doesn't even seem worth the effort to get comfy enough to fall asleep, if you're going to wake up less than a minute later. Anyway, this wasn't the origin of the saying, but I thought it was a good way to see how long a wink was. Although, if we use science rather than literature, a wink only takes around 300 to 400 milliseconds, so less than half a second. That would be a nap of 20 seconds or less, if my math is right, although my math is often not right. (laughs) Anyway, it's super short. Okay, back to the origin of the saying. It's believed by many to have come from Dr. William Kitchener, an optician, inventor, and musician. In 1821, he published a self help guide called The Art of Invigorating and Prolonging Life. In this, he wrote, quote, It is not better economy of time to go to sleep for half an hour than to go noodling all day in a nerveless and semi superannuated state. If not sleep, certainly not effectively awake. For any purpose requiring the energy of either the body or the mind, a forty winks nap, in a horizontal posture, is the best preparative for any extraordinary exertion of either. End quote. Now, I have to mention that in his publication, he put the phrase, a 40-wink snap, in quotations. So, this has led some people to say that he didn't invent the saying, but was just using a saying that was already around. However, I couldn't find an earlier use in print for the exact phrase, so, even if he didn't invent it, he likely was the first to write it down idiomatically. Okay, before I make you sleepy by droning on, let's move on to today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. The metaphor. Today's metaphor is the fifth column. I'd never heard of this one before I began researching for this episode but it seemed like the perfect one to use to round up this episode's sequence of 1 through 5. So, what does it mean? It refers to people who have infiltrated a group and or who collaborate with the enemy of a group. The origin for this one is easy to pin down, for its first known use in writing is believed to also be where it came from. It was born in a time of destruction, during the Spanish Civil War which began on July 17, 1936, and ended on April 1, 1939. In early October of 1936, the Nationalist General Emilio Mola and his supporters surrounded Madrid with four lines of troops, also known as columns. The general made the claim that he had more soldiers inside the city, and the New York Times reported on this with, quote, Police last night began a house-to-house search for rebels in Madrid. Orders for these raids, apparently, were instigated by a recent broadcast over the rebel radio station by General Emilio Mola. He stated he was counting on four columns of troops outside Madrid and another column of persons hiding within the city who would join the invaders as soon as they entered the capital. End quote. From that point on, it became a popular metaphor for traitors, spies, and other scoundrels of sorts. It was even used during World War II to remind people not to do anything to accidentally be a fifth column and potentially assist the Germans. It was similar to the idea behind loose lips sink ships, in the sense that it was used to remind people to be wary of things they did and said so they wouldn't unintentionally offer up secret information about troops and war plans, etc. That's all I have for this one, so now it's time for today's Familiar Quotation. Toppers, today's Familiar Quotation is from Thomas Jefferson. Here's what he had to say about thinking before you speak. Quote, When angry count to ten before you speak. If very angry, count to one hundred. End quote. Thank you, Mr. Jefferson, for giving us today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, now it's time for today's For Better or for Words, Love Advice from Old Timey Times. As always, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't expect life to be all sunshine. Besides, if there are no clouds, you will lose the opportunity of showing your husband what a good chum you can be. And now for the men. Don't sit down to breakfast in your shirt sleeves in hot weather, on the ground that only your wife is present. She is a woman like any other woman, The courtesies you give to womankind are her due, and she will appreciate them. Alright, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 57. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. If you had a good time listening today, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, I'll be counting the days until we meet again. Toodaloo. And now let me rephrase So let's move on Oops I might take that out anyway. A wink only takes around three four three four It's believed by many to have come from William Kitchener, MD Kitchener? Is it Kitchener? I think it's Kitchener than to go noodling all day in a neverless and semi-superannuated, that's a long word, in a nerveless and simpy, simpy, (laughs) the Nationalist General Emilio, (laughs) Emilio, here's what he had to say about thinking before you speak. (laughs) You will love the opportunity of showing your husband what a good chum you can be. That's, (laughs) I read that wrong, that's why it didn't make sense.